Father.
we worship you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for you are good. Your love endures forever. We thank you, God, that you are faithful, that you are not man, that you should lie. That, God, you are faithful and true. That you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That, Father, there's no one that compared to you. You are the great I am. So, Father, as we open up your word, Lord, I pray, God, that we would be attentive. Thank you, Father, for your living word. Thank you for life. Thank you, Father, that your will will be done. Your kingdom will come. And we look forward to that day, Father, to stand in your presence and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I pray to be so, Lord, that we will live lives that would honor you, lives, God, that would walk in obedience, lives that are not, Father, lived for ourselves or Father, trying to accomplish it in and of our own self, but lives, God, that are solely dependent upon you, Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, our teacher, our comforter, our guide, our counselor. We thank you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is just not a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. Pray that as we've been going through this scripture um, throughout this year, and we'll continue until the end of the year, that we're really grasping it, that we're really challenged by it, that we're seeking it, um, to really to take root in our individual lives and then corporately as the church, but to truly trust what God is saying. He didn't call us out to be a religious people, a people that just do a lot of talk, but no, he's called us out to be his people, a people that are filled with his power, lives that have been transformed, lives that are honoring him, walking in obedience, lives that are producing not lives that are just a lot of talk and nothing's coming from it. There's a lie out there, and it's always been, that you can just have a knowledge of God, and, and, and that's salvation, but that is not salvation. The devil knows God. <laughs> the demons know God. and They're not saved. <laughs> the lost, the world, knows God. It is only those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They've made that bold confession and that belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. That at that point that they are saved, that they are born again of a new nature, and it's now a progression of maturing in the fullness of who Christ is, for the years that we have on this earth, fixing our eyes upon Him and living for Him. From the beginning, remember His purpose, to have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God, that they would live for Him, that they would love Him with their whole heart, with everything within them. There's no one else. There's nothing else above him and the life of a believer. We are to be a humbled people, a serving people, a loving people. We are to be Christ-like. We are to live as Christ lived. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in and through me. We have to learn to yield our lives, yield our passions and our desires because we've recognized we've nailed them to his cross. And that in Christ we are overcomers. Amen. We're not the old. <laughs> We're of the new. So let's go to Exodus chapter 25, verse 47. And we're going to read through chapter 27, verse 13. 
It's Exodus chapter 25, verse 47. Are you sure you mean Exodus? Ah, not Exodus, Leviticus. That's why I didn't get that. Yeah, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 47 through chapter 27, verse 13. I was in Exodus this morning. I have Exodus on my heart. Maybe you should go there. But we'll stay in Leviticus chapter 25. God is laying down these laws. He's, he's laying down these commandments. He's, he's giving these people that he has delivered, that he has called out as his own, giving them understanding of who he is, and what they are to do, and how they're to live, to honor Him, so that other nations would know that He is God. Part of God's plan, to have a people that He can call His own, and in return they will call Him their God, is so that others would know that He's God. That He's God. There's a way in which we are called to live. And in this calling, it's a call of obedience. All of us. Rather it was then, or rather it's now, rather it's the days to come. It's always about obedience. About obeying Him. Trusting Him. Loving Him. Verse 47. Suppose a foreigner or a temporary resident becomes rich while living among you. If any of you follow, I'm sorry, fellow Israelites fall into poverty and are forced to sell themselves to such a foreigner or to a member of his family, they they still retain the right to be bought back even after they have been purchased. They may be bought back by a brother, an uncle, or a cousin. In fact, anyone from the extended family may buy them back. They may also redeem themselves if they have prospered. They will negotiate the price of their freedom with the person who bought them. The price will be based on the number, the number of years from the time they were sold until the next year of Jubilee. Whatever it would cost to hire a worker for that period of time, if many years still remain until the Jubilee, they will repay the proper proportion of what they received when they sold themselves. If only a few years remain until the year of the Jubilee, they will repay a small amount for their redemption. The foreigner must treat them as workers hired on a yearly basis. You must allow a foreigner to treat, I'm sorry, you must not allow a foreigner to treat any of your fellow Israelites harshly. If any Israelites have been born bought back by the time the year I'm sorry if any Israelites have not been bought back by the time of the year of Jubilee arrives they and their children must be set free at that time for the people of Israel I love this look at that for the people of Israel belong to me they are my servants whom I bought out of the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God chapter 26 do not make idols or set up car- set up carved images or sacred pillars or sculptured stones in your land to you so that you may worship them i am the lord your god you must keep my sabbath days of rest and show reverence for my sanctuary i am the lord if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you the seasonal rains. The land will then yield its crops, and the trees of the field will produce their fruit. Your threshing season will overlap with the grape harvest, and your grape harvest will overlap with the season of planting grain. You will eat your fill and live securely in your own land. I will give you peace in the land, and you will be able to sleep with no cause for fear. I will rid the land of wild animals and keep your enemies out of your land. In fact, you will chase down your enemies and slaughter them with your swords. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousands. All your enemies will fall beneath your sword. 
I will look favorably upon you, making you fertile and multiplying your people. And I will fulfill my covenant with you. You will have such a surplus of crops that you will need to clear out the old grain to make room for the new harvest. I will live among you, look at this, and I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck so you can walk with your heads held high. Obedience, you all. God is for us. He's not against us. God will provide. God will take care of his own. You can rest assured that he is God. He keeps telling us, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. We belong to him. And it's not a forced relationship. No, it's a loving relationship. That's so important to remember. Everyone has so much stuff to say against God. They question his character. But we are not a people that question God's character if we know God. We can trust him. Remember, there's nothing that man can charge against God or declare or state against God that, that, that is right. They want to throw charges at him. They want to say how horrible he is. They want to say he's unjust. But there's nothing in God, in his character, that is of error. He is just. He is good. He is right. He is love. And he is wrath. He knows what is right and what is wrong, and he leads his people on that which is right. He leads us on the straight path, not the crooked paths. He leads us to do what is right, because he's a just God. And listen to what he's telling them. If you do this, then this would go well for you. Pick up in verse 14, all right? Verse 14. However, if you do not listen to me or obey all these commands, and if you break my covenant by rejecting my decrees, treating my regulations with contempt, and refusing to obey my commands, I will punish you. I will bring sudden terrors upon you. Wasting diseases and burning fevers that will cause your eyes to fail and your life to be ebbed away. You will plant your crops in vain because your enemies will eat them. I will turn against you and you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will run even when no one is chasing you. And if in spite all of this, you still disobey me, I will punish you seven times over for your sins. I will break your proud spirit by making the skies as unyielding as iron and the earth as hard as bronze. All your work will be for nothing, for your land will yield no crops and your trees will bear no fruit. If even then... You remain hostile toward me and refuse to obey me. I will inflict disaster upon you seven times over for your sins. I will send wild animals that will rob you of your children and destroy your livestock. Your numbers will dwindle and your roads would be deserted. And if you fail to learn the lesson and continue your hostility toward me, then I myself will be hostile toward you. I will personally strike you with calamity seven times over for your sins. I will send armies against you to carry out the curse of the covenant you have broken. 
When you run in your towns for safety, I will send a plague to destroy you there, and you will be handed over to your enemies. I will destroy your food supply so that ten women will need only one oven to bake bread for their families. They will ration your food by weight, and though you have food to eat, you will not be satisfied. If in spite all of this, you still refuse to listen and still remain hostile toward me, then I will give you full then, then I will give full vent to my hostility. I myself will punish you seven times over for your sins. Then you will eat the flesh of your own sons and daughters. I will destroy your pagan shrines and knock down your places of worship. I will leave your lifeless corpses piled on top of your lifeless idols. I will despise you. I will make your cities desolate and destroy your place of pagan worship. I will take no pleasure in your offerings that should be a pleasing aroma to me. Yes, I myself would de um, devastate your land and your enemies who come to occupy it will be appalled at what they see. I will scatter you among the nations and bring out my sword against you. Your land will become desolate and your cities will lie in ruins. Then at, the last, then at last the land will enjoy its neglected Sabbath years as it lies desolate while you are in exile in the land of your enemies. Then the land will finally rest and enjoy the Sabbath it missed. As long as the land lies in ruins, it will enjoy the rest you never allowed it to take every seventh year while you lived in it. And for those of you who survive, I will demoralize you in the land of your enemies. You will live in such fear that the sound of a leaf driven by the wind will send you fleeing. You will run as though fleeing from a sword, and you will fall even when no one pursues you. Though no one is chasing you, you will stumble over each other as though fleeing from a sword. You will have no power to stand up against your enemies. You will die among the foreign nations and be devoured in the land of your enemies. Those of you who survive will waste away in your enemies' lands because of their sins and the sins of your ancestors. But at last, my people will confess their sins and their sins of their ancestors for betraying me and being hostile toward me. When I have turned their hostility back on them and brought them to the land of their enemies, then at last their stubborn hearts will be humbled and they will pay for their sins. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. For the land must be abandoned to enjoy its years of Sabbath rest as it lies deserted. At last the people will pay for their sins for they have continually rejected my regulations and despised my decrees. But despite all of this, I will not utterly reject or despise them while they are in exile in the land of their enemies. I will not cancel my covenant with them by wiping them out, for I am the Lord their God. For their sakes, I will remember my ancient covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of all of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the decrees, the regulations, and the, the instructions that the Lord gave through Moses on Mount Sinai at, and as evidence as the, of the relationship between himself and the Israelites. Did you hear all that? God is God, you all. God is God. He's a God of love. He's a God of wrath. Just as he was then, so he is now. His wrath is being stored up. But there's a day of coming. There's a day of coming. His love was displayed through Jesus Christ, you all. 
No greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid his life down. God himself laid his life down for you, for me. Not so that we can continue to sin. Not so that sin can continue to master us. No. But that we would be liberated. That we would know freedom, true freedom, that is found only through Christ. Set free. The captives are set free. No longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. Right standing with God. Not because I do all the religious works. No, because Christ accomplished everything we need to live as new creations. Here God was telling his people. He's setting all of this up for them. If you will only obey me, this is how it will go for you. But if you disobey, and do you realize he tells them everything was that was about to come for them? He gave them an understanding of what their future is going to be like. And it wasn't a pretty picture. And did you see how they gradually continue to turn from God? He, he, he disciplined them. He punished them. And they didn't turn back to him. They just kept pursuing things for themselves. And then another round of discipline and punishment and wrath came upon them. And they still didn't yield and turn and, and repent. No, they kept going. They were at fault, not God. People like to point at him and say, oh, what a horrible God, what an angry God. What type of God would do that? A just God, a loving God? A God that is true to his character? He's not a wimp. He's not wishy-washy. He's God. And all the way up, these people endured, I mean, will endure such great hostility. And I love the fact that God says, I myself will do this. But did you see how it ends? Because remember, wherever you see his love, you see his wrath. Wherever you see his wrath, you see his love. Even in the midst of all of this, he remembers his covenant. He remembers his purpose for these people. And ultimately, for the people that would be in heaven with him. Remember, it's a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. He remembers his covenant. He is true to his word. He could have wiped them off the face of this earth. He could have. But he remembered his covenant. He knew what is to come and what will come and what will be even before the foundations of the earth. That's such a beautiful picture. Despite all of this, no matter how far you've gone, if you would just turn to him, if you would just repent, He's a God that restores you all. He's a God that remembers His covenant. He's not a God that just rejects for the sake of just rejecting. No, His will is that none shall perish. So we must stop going our way. We must stop going and living for ourselves. We must deny ourselves. We must pick up our cross and we must follow Him. There's no other way. You can go your way and you can have all that you want and God will turn you over to everything that you desire, but in the end, you have nothing. Separation for eternity. In a place of torment. That's why I keep telling us, why would we trade his love for his wrath? 
why would we settle for mere mortals or mere earthly temporal things to try to satisfy us? Only God can satisfy us. Only God can complete us. That's where we find our wholeness. In Christ and in Christ alone. Oh, that we would be a people who obey. Chapter 27. The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If anyone makes a special vow to dedicate someone to the Lord by paying the value of that person, here is the scale of values to be used. A man between the ages of 20 and 60 is valued at 50 shekels of silver as measured by the sanctuary shekel. A woman of that age is valued at 30 shekels of silver. A boy between the ages of 5 and 20 is valued at 20 shekels of silver. A girl of the same of that same age is valued as 10 shekels of silver. So, silver. A boy between the ages of 1 month and 5 years is valued at 5 shekels of silver, and a girl of that age is valued at 3 shekels of silver. A man older than 60 is valued at 15 shekels of silver. A woman of that age is valued at 10 shekels of silver. If you desire to make such a vow but cannot afford to pay the required amount, take the person to the priest. He will determine the amount for you to pay based on what you can afford. If your vow involves giving an animal that is acceptable as an offering to the Lord, any gift to the Lord will be considered holy. You may not exchange or substitute it for another animal, neither a good animal for a bad one, nor a bad animal for a good one. But if you do exchange one animal for another, then both of the original animal and its substitute will be considered holy. If your vow involves an unclean animal, one that is not acceptable as an offering to the Lord, then you must bring the animal to the priest. He will assess its value, and his assessment will be final, whether high or low. If you want to buy back the animal, you must pay the value set by the priest plus 20%. Redemption of the gifts offered to the Lord. Vows are important, especially in their custom back in this day. But God knows the people. Of, God knows the hearts of people. We may commit something or someone, but oh, how quick we can change our hearts and our and our desires. And I think of Jesus, you all. Jesus himself said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And we're not to be like a fickle people. We're not to be people who just make these commitments and then change our hearts and change our minds. And I love the fact that when Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, consider the cost. Don't be all hyped up in it and then change your heart and change your mind later. These people back in the days were making vows no different than what we do. That God, if you would just do this, I commit to do that. If you would just fix this, then I will do this for you. If you would just, I will. And just like them, we find ourselves reneging on what we just vowed. Oh, we must be a people of our word, you all. Especially to God. Again, Jesus says that your yes be yes and your no be no. Consider the cost. If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. There's no, I'm here today and I'm gone tomorrow. There's no, oh, I'm here in it with you, Jesus, while I'm in church. But as soon as I step out, I'm going to go back my way. That's not how the church is supposed to be. That's not how God's people are supposed to be. So there was a price. And God laid out these measurements. God laid out these, these prices. And ultimately gave the priests the ability to set forth things that maybe really didn't line up with, um, with how God laid, 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 I'm sorry, laid it out. 
These people were poor and they couldn't pay. Then they were supposed to come to the priests. And God made a way for them. But as God's people, we're to honor Him with our commitments. There's no other way, you all, to live but a way that is right before the Lord. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. Verse 32 through 52. Oh, that we would be men and women of our word. Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 52. They were now on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind them were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once, once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke. Teacher, they said, we want, you, we want you to do us a favor. Now understand just what happened. Jesus just mentioned what is to come. And they're still not getting it. Now they want a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Remember what he just told them. We're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. He, the Son of Man, Jesus, will endure God's wrath for you. But in three days, he will rise. God's covenant, God's purpose, God's plan from the beginning will come to pass. There will be a resurrection. And that is glorious news. That is glorious news. But first, he must suffer. And these two are coming up seeking only for themselves. Remember, they're thinking that he's going to have this earthly throne. And they're like, hey, put one on the right and one of us on your left. And Jesus is like, do you know what you're asking? Look what he says again, verse 14, I mean 38. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. You are able to, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. And then Jesus told them, Oh, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know what the rulers in the world lord it over. I'm sorry. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials 
flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, what a lesson for the church to learn. It's not about us. It's not about our positions. It's not about us and bringing glory to us. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus, you all. We're to serve. To be the greatest among us. Humble ourselves. And serve. Do what others won't do. That exposes the, the heart. The truth. Behind the confession and the belief. That you're not seeking to gain for yourself. But you're seeking that his kingdom would gain. And move and advance forward. Then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Barnabas, son of Thamias, was sitting beside the road. When Barnabas heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. <coughs> come on, he's calling you. Barnabas threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Wow. Wow. He had faith and he believed in Jesus. He called out. No matter others were saying to him, he was seeking Jesus. And I love the fact that Jesus calls him over to himself. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. Then see you shall. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see. Instantly. The man could see, and look how it says there, then he followed Jesus down the road. Oh, that we would be like Barnabas. That we would call upon Jesus. That we would have faith to believe. That we would hear the Lord, and that we would respond. He had a need in his life. And Jesus met it. And as he did for him, he does for us. Oh, that we would come and call upon the name of the Lord. In the hour of need. In the hour of adversity. And trust the fact that he will answer. Go to Psalm 45. Before you do, let me go ahead and just share a couple of notes with you. They considered this psalm a wedding song. And since the Davidic kingship reflects God's ultimate kingship and anticipates Christ as king, the psalm has a second application to Christ, the king and the bridegroom, and his bride, the church. Psalm 45 is applied to Jesus Christ 
in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. And then verse 10 when we get there, the bride is told to forget your people. As the bride is exhorted to leave her family, so the Christian forsakes all to join Christ. So listen to this. Psalms 45, the wedding song. Beautiful words stir my heart. I will recite a lovely poem about the king. For my tongue is like the pen of a skillful poet. You are the most handsome of all. Gracious words stream from your lips. God himself has blessed you forever. Put on your sword, O mighty warrior. You are so glorious, so majestic. In your majesty, ride out to victory, defending truth, humility, and justice. Go forth to perform all inspiring deeds. Your arrows are sharp, piercing your enemies' hearts. The nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Myrrh, aloes, and cassia perfume your robes. In ivory palaces, the music of your streams entertains you. Kings, daughters, and among, are among your noble women. And your right side stands the queen wearing jewelry of the finest gold from Ophir. Listen to me, O royal daughter. Take, the heart, take to heart what I say. Forget your people and your family far away. For your royal husband delights in your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The princes of Tyre will shower you with gifts. The wealthy will beg your favor. The bride, a princess, looks glorious to her in her golden gown. In her beautiful robe, she is led to the king, accompanied by her bridesmaids. What a joyful and enthusiastic procession as they enter the king's palace. Your sons will become kings like their father, and you will make them rulers over many lands. I will bring honor to your name in every generation. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Wow. It's beautiful. When you can look at the psalm and see Jesus in it. And as you see Jesus, you see the church. Oh, the beauty of psalms, you all. If you would just open it up and be encouraged by these songs. These words that were that these men wrote out as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to remind us as, as we sung earlier and as we hear continually here to look up. No matter what we're facing, to look up. God is good, you all. Amen. Go to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. A nugget of wisdom. Chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. What I like about that proverb is wealth is not wisdom's goal, but it is often wisdom's reward. We seek not to be wise to be wealthy. We seek to be wise to honor God. Amen? Let's close with this last song of worship, and then I'll close this in prayer.